This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. So the title of this message is Abiding Above Rejection Part 1. All of us are continually being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. All that we have, God has given to us. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is true of us positionally. That is, the fact that you and I right now, God sees us in Christ at His right hand forever, blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. But we're still living our life here on this earth. We're going to live for a length of time, and then we're going to die. And everything we accumulate, we're going to give it all away. We're going to leave it here, anything materially anyway. But what is it that God would have us to know here on this earth, this short time that we live, that James says our life is but a vapor. We're here just for a moment, and then we're gone. What would God have us to learn? How would he have us to be during this short existence on earth? I can tell you what it is. God, in His Word, through the Apostle Paul, said, Do not be conformed to this world. He said for you and I to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the reason that our minds have to be renewed, the reasons our minds need to be renewed, is because you and I think the way we've been programmed since the time we were children, first of all by mom and dad, and then as we get older by others and authorities in our life. Some of it is a good programming, and some of it is not. And so therefore, we are to be renewed in the mind. You see, we're born sinners separated from God. We have a propensity to sin within, and so we do. And that begins to shape us who we are and our personalities and our actions and things like that. We begin to be shaped up. Now, when you read God's Word, especially Paul's epistles, you notice that he says a couple of things over and over again. One of them is Christ in you. He says it over and over again. You would be amazed if you would take a red ink pen and circle every time in Paul's epistles. Remember now, he wrote... Uh, his epistles were after Jesus Christ died on the cross. And if you would take a red pen and circle every time that Paul says Christ in you, you'd be amazed how many times you circle it. And then he also says not only Christ in you, but he says you in Christ. Circle that every time you see it in Paul's epistles. And I'm telling you, you will mark up the New Testament in a mighty and big way. So you have to ask yourself this question. Why did Paul say over and over again, recognize that Christ lives in you. Why did Paul over and over again say, not only does Christ live in you, but you're in Christ? What he was referring to is this. Paul is also the one who said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he said that you and I have been crucified with Christ. So in the mind of God, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, you and I, as his children, we're hanging on the cross with Jesus. And so when Jesus Christ died on the cross for all of your sins, past, present, and future in mind, God the Father saw His Son dying on the cross for you and all your sins. When He was buried, 
God the Father saw him being buried with you. And on the third day, when God raised Jesus from the dead by the Holy Spirit, God the Father saw you and I being raised together with him. And then from the Mount of Olives, when Jesus Christ ascended and went up in the cloud and those people watched him go, God the Father saw Jesus with you and me in him ascending. And then when Jesus got to heaven, accepted in heaven, by the way, which shows that what he did on the cross for you and me did atone for our sins forever and completely. He sat down by the right hand of the Father. So now for all eternity, if you're a Christian here today, if you're not a Christian here today, this doesn't pertain to you yet, but it can be. But if you're here today and you say, well, I am a Christian, I'm a Christ one, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, what the Word of God says is God sees you already in heaven, in Christ, at his right hand. You say, why is this so important? Man, I wish Paul was here so we could ask him that, because I want to tell you, that is all he talked about. And when you read the writings of Paul, it's like Paul didn't take a breath. He never put a period. His sentences started, and he went on and on and on. And I believe it's because he was so excited of what God had revealed to him about the believer's position in Christ Jesus. Now, if you were to start reading Christian biographies and start paying attention and ask yourself this question, matter of fact, just get a biography out and you, you begin to read the biography and you put on a piece of paper over to one side, what made this woman special? What made this man special? This is what you would find out in any Christian biography. You would find out that this person came to a point in their life as a believer, and they realize something's missing in my Christian experience. I must know something that I don't know. And so they began a search trying to find out what is it that I'm missing? Why do I go from church to church seeking something that I don't know? Why do I go from Bible study to Bible study? Why do I memorize a lot of scripture? Why do I go to Christian things and Christian events and listen to Christian music? What is it that I'm trying to find? You read these Christian biographies, and this is what you're going to find out. They began to realize it is finished. Jesus Christ has atoned for the sin of the whole world, and that includes me. And for all eternity, now and forever, I stand before God faultless and perfect, clothed in His Son. Amen? When they begin to see that, that begins to heal their damaged emotions. That begins to take on new meaning in their life. And then they begin to learn what it means to abide, that is, to live a yielded, surrendered life to the indwelling Holy Spirit. Now, that's what you'll find if you read just about any Christian biography, that those people begin to realize who they are in Christ. Now, what about all the rest of us? Where are we in our Christian experience? You say, well, I've been through all of Beth Moore's Bible studies. I've been through all of K. Arthur's works. I listen to sermons all the time. I read Christian books all the time. But there must be something I don't know. Something's missing. I want to ask you this question. What is it that blocks well-meaning Christians 
faithful in church attendance, faithful in Bible reading, faithful in giving, even faithful in witnessing, what is it that blocks them from enjoying Christ? What is this veil that seems to come over their minds so that they hear this teaching, but somehow they don't even doubt it? But somehow they hear this teaching, but they say, but I don't know why it's not doing for me what it's done for others. What is it that veils it for them? What is it that blocks it? Well, that's what I'm talking about in this message. I believe there is a common thread that you see in humanity, and it can be summed up in one word, and then I have to unpack that word, and I may have to do more than one sermon on this. I'm pretty sure I will. But that one word is rejection. My friend, if you're here today and you've experienced rejection in your life, starting maybe when you were a little boy, a little girl, with your mom and dad, and he may have been a pastor. But if you experience rejection, I want to tell you that causes you to not be able to go further in your Christian experience. It doesn't mean that you don't have everything that a Christian has, because my friend, when you're born again, you receive it all once and for all, you receive it all. You're in Christ as Christ is in you 100%. But this is the problem. Do you know, number one, what you have? You say, but I do know what I have. I've been through the teaching. I've got the notebooks. Well, then why are you not experiencing it? That's what I'm talking about in this message. And the word for it is rejection. That's what holds you back from experiencing all that you have in Christ Jesus. Now, you can be rejected and not even know it. You'll know it today. You can be rejected and you know that you are. You can feel rejected and not be rejected. It's just in your imagination. So the title of this message is Abiding Above Rejection, Part 1. Abiding Above Rejection, Part 1. Now, you say, rejection. I don't know anything about it. Well, you're fixing to. Where did it all begin? Well, you got to go back to the Garden of Eden. So if you will, take God's Word and turn to Genesis I want to start with uh, chapter 1, verse 26, and then I'm going to read Genesis 2, verse 7, and then I'm going to read Genesis 3, verses 8 through 13. This is where it all began. And remember, this is the first family. You would not be here today sitting and breathing with blood flowing through your blood vessels if this man and this woman in the garden had not gotten together and began to have babies. You wouldn't be here. So all of us came from Adam and Eve. So this is where it all began. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Listen to this. And this, this is the first reference in the Bible, I believe, of the Trinity, because you have to ask yourself, well, who was God talking to? Genesis 1, 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. 
Okay, let's stop right there. I want you to think about this. Do you realize you and I, you and I are really, we're made in the image of Adam. Adam was made in the image of God. But because we're made in the image of Adam, who was made in the image of God, we're made in the image of God. We're, we were made, uh, Adam was made in the moral likeness of God and, and in natural ways like God. But when Adam sinned in the garden, he lost the moral likeness of God. But there still is the natural likeness of God as far as personality, as far as having feelings and these type things. Now, turn over to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man, talking about Adam, of the dust of the ground. And notice what he did. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and notice, and man became a living being. You see what makes us different than animals is this. God breathed into Adam, and man became a living being. Not only did Adam have a body, but Adam had a soul and a spirit. Adam was made in such a way that God's Holy Spirit could live inside of Adam. You and I are made in such a way that God's Holy Spirit can live inside of you. Now, this jacket that I have on this morning, it was made in such a way that a man could get inside of it. God made all of us in such a way that he could come into us and live inside of us. Now, turn to Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, and we're going to see something. Remember, Adam and Eve were perfect in every way. There was no sin, there was no sadness, there was no sorrow, there was no heartache, and none of that existed until we see what happens in Genesis 3. And look at Genesis 3, and I'm going to read verses 8 through 13, and you know the story. You know that Satan, in the form of a serpent, he deceived Eve, and Eve sinned. She ate of the fruit, and the Bible says that she handed the fruit to her husband, and he sinned. And then Romans chapter 5, verse 17 tells us that sin came into the world through one man. So basically, Eve was deceived, but Adam willfully disobeyed God in rebellion. And so this has all happened. Of course, Satan did the tempting like he still tempts us today. And then uh, look at verse 8. They had already eaten the fruit, and they had lost the Spirit of God. And uh, it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Now, you know, he's an all-knowing, omniscient God. He knew where Adam was. He wanted Adam to realize where Adam was. That's what's going on here. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And of course, God knew that he had. Then the man said, Notice, <laughs> what, what did he say? The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. What happened right then? Adam rejected God. Adam rejected Eve, and the blame game started right then. And you know what? This is your great, 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 great. We could go on and on. 
grandparent. So he says, the woman you gave to me, you know, it's your fault, Lord. She gave of me. It's her fault too. And then what did the woman do? Uh, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? What did the woman say? The serpent deceived me and I ate. Blame, blame, blame. Blame it on one another, blaming it on God, and Eve's blaming it on Satan. Rejection all started there. And listen, this has been going on ever since. Children grow up. They begin to have children. They grow up. They begin to have children. And this thread of rejection that started in the Garden of Eden, my friend, it has come all the way down through humanity covering this globe. Every single person deals with it. And the word is rejection. Now, number one, a definition of rejection. What is a definition of rejection? Rejection is the absence of meaningful love. It's an absence of meaningful love. The need for love and acceptance sometimes is never met in a person's childhood, and the effect will continue into adulthood. I want to show you something. God made you and me in such a way that he could live in us. And God also made mankind in such a way that as some theologians call a God-shaped vacuum that's inside of man that longs for God. Though mankind does not know what he's longing for, he's longing for God. You know, when you feel lonely, do you realize that is a loneliness for God? Instead of taking a drink or smoking another cigarette or, or eating more food that you don't need, just spend that time alone with God because God made you and me in such a way that we feel lonely because that gets our attention. We call it the blues, whatever. But what he's wanting us to do at that time is shut everything off and just sit there and listen to him talk to you. But mankind takes that feeling that they have and they do everything in the world with it, put on music or whatever to deal with that instead of saying, no, I'm going to listen to God. And so what happens is this. God made you and me in such a way that only he can really satisfy us. Uh, your wife can't satisfy you 100%. Your husband can't satisfy you 100%. Your children can't satisfy you 100%. You can't satisfy them 100%. God will not allow it. The only way a person on this earth can be satisfied emotionally in every other way is by walking in sweet fellowship with God because you have a relationship with him. God made us that way. And to try to circumvent that, I'm telling you, gets us into all kinds of emotional problems, all kinds of addictions, and all kinds of substitutes other than just simply communing with God. And so when a person uh, feels rejection, what it is, is they've got a need for love and acceptance that only God can meet, and it's not being met adequately by the first authorities in their life. So from the time you're a little baby, you begin to experience rejection, though you could never even say the word rejection. You begin to experience that with inside. So there is a common thread in humanity, and this common thread is what's called rejection. Now, I've noticed over the years, as I've talked with people and counseled with people and spent time with people, how much people, especially in our day, are craving meaningful conversation. Why? Because we now live in a society of people who are so dysfunctional that people don't know how to talk to each other anymore. 
just sit and talk. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. And so I've watched this over the years, and I do talk with a lot of people and spend time with people, but I've got a purpose behind it. I love to disciple people. I feel called, especially to disciple men. And so over the years, I've learned to sit and listen. I've learned to observe. I've learned to identify. I've learned to be transparent and express my own struggles and things and so that I could communicate with people on a deeper level instead of a superficial level. That's not normal in our society anymore. Most of the conversations that you have with people in our society is just back and forth, bantering back and forth. A lot of our conversation is equivalent to some of these talk shows that you see at night, these one-liners. Everybody just talks in one-liners, just bantering back and forth, no real communication, no real relationship. You see these family sitcoms, and these family sitcoms are shaping the American family. And these family sitcoms, it's an insult to your intelligence. If I was you, I just wouldn't watch them. They don't ever have a meaningful conversation. They don't even complete their sentences. Everything's just a snippet, and everyone's trying to have the best and last sarcastic line. I want to tell you, my friend, that is not living, that is not a relationship, and that is certainly not communication. But it's where our society is. And so, a lot of that uh, is involved because of rejection. Uh, our generation just seems to sabotage a meaningful conversation. And so, it causes no real communication and therefore no real relationship. Now, so the definition of rejection is there is an absence of meaningful love. See, when you know that I am loved in a meaningful way, what it is, you know I'm accepted. But when there's no meaningful love, you feel like I'm not accepted. And so you feel what's the opposite of acceptance is rejection. So number one, a definition of rejection. Number two, a definition of self-rejection. You say, what's the difference between rejection and self-rejection? Self-rejection is a person who now has been rejected. Now, self-rejection is the impaired ability to accept yourself. That is, you feel unworthy to be accepted, and you feel unable to be accepted. It's not that you cannot be accepted, and it's not that you're not able to be accepted because you are. But the problem is in your mind, in your thinking that the Bible says has to be renewed, and we're coming to that. You don't feel acceptable. You don't feel able to be accepted. So therefore, you live in a state of what's called self-rejection. Not only have you been rejected by someone or maybe several people, now you think you're rejected when you're not even rejected. And now you're beginning to believe what other people have said and how they've acted towards you. And so now you're identifying with their perception of you. And so now you're in full-blown self-rejection. Third thing is this. What are the results of this rejection? A person who has been rejected and a person who now is in a state of self-rejection. Third thing, what are the results of this rejection? Well, one thing is this. Love escapes them. They can love, but they think they can't. They can't love, and they can't accept your love. You say, well, 
I don't like sermons like this. Why don't you just go verse by verse and tell us about some Hebrew and some Greek? Because you'll hide behind that, but I can do that. And I will do that some, but not today and not next Sunday. You'll hide behind that. Preachers hide behind that. This is getting right to where we really are. And that's where I want to be. That's what a minister does. And so, a person who's been rejected, now they see themselves as unacceptable and unable to be accepted. When it comes to love, they crave to be loved. Why do they crave to be loved? Because God put that in them. And the truth is, only God can love you and me 100%. Human beings will be faulty in their love towards you and toward me. And so, love seems to escape them. A person who's been rejected and has responded the wrong way, they have an impaired ability to love someone or to be loved by someone. You say, I just don't know if I believe that. Well, then tell me, why is the divorce rate among Christians probably right at 70% now? You can mark it down unless something changes. Your sons and daughters and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will be mostly divorced. That's why these kinds of messages are very important. To love someone, they begin to feel like they're taking a chance. Why? Because I've been hurt once before, or maybe I've been hurt many times before, and to just open myself up to love and be loved, I'm taking a chance once again to be rejected because now I see everything that comes my way as being rejected. So to allow someone to love them makes them feel out of control and makes them feel vulnerable. So what do they do? They begin to sabotage love in their life. They crave to love and they reject love all at the same time. You say, this sounds crazy. It is crazy. It's crazy. It's dysfunctional. It's not what God intended, but it is where we are in our society. So they sabotage love in their life. They crave love and reject it all at the same time. The bottom line is this. The bottom line of rejection is that a person who has been rejected will ultimately reject himself and in turn will reject others in the same way that he has been rejected. They become rejectors. The overwhelming evidence is that those who abused children were what? Abused themselves. We've all heard that because it's so true. Those who've been rejected become rejectors of others. Now, the last thing we need to do is become angry at them and reject them back because that only fuels the way they are. It's going to take patience. It's going to take agape, which is sacrificial love, to help people in this type of situation. So, a person that's uh, struggling with, with this, sometimes they see this in themselves, but oftentimes they don't even know it. Matter of fact, this is probably the first message you've ever heard on the subject, and you may be sitting here today and you say, you know what, that could be me. Well, it may be. You need to keep listening. You see, a person can get into what's called a rejection syndrome. That is, instead of living and moving and having their being in Christ Jesus, they live and move and have their being in rejection. And so it becomes the norm for their life. And so they live their lives unable to receive love, unable to love, expecting rejection, 
when there is none and being very sensitive when there is some. And so they're in this rejection syndrome and it's like being in a prison cell. And so you find people that are in this situation and they don't know what to do with themselves. They have a hard time relating to others and people think that sometimes that they're mean or they're aloof or I can't just get to know her. I can't get to know him. What it is, is they're in this rejection syndrome. It's a chronic and it's a fixed feeling of rejection. And so what happens in their life? Rejection becomes a form of communication. In other words, instead of just being free and communicating like normal people, they begin to communicate through this atmosphere, this syndrome of rejection. And so when you're talking to them and relating to them, you think, man, they're just this disconnected. Something's always not quite right. I can't figure it out. And what it is, you're communicating with someone who communicates through rejection, and they don't always know that this is what's going on with them. And so you say, well, how do you explain that? It's hard, but I'm going to try. So listen to me. When you were a kid, and just say you were out somewhere, and you were acting up like most kids do, acting up, and your mom and dad, they just looked at you. They just looked at you. They didn't have to say anything, did they? What did you do? You stopped what you were doing. A person who's undergone a lot of rejection, either from mom and dad, school teacher, football coach, spouse, husband or wife, pastor who's a legalist, people who've gone through this, they feel this even with body language. This comes off of them when they don't even say a word. And you say, I don't know what it is with her. I don't know what it is with him. When I'm with them, I feel rejected. I don't know what to do next. I feel like if I do this, it's going to be wrong. If I do that, it's going to be wrong. If I say this, it's going to be wrong. Can you imagine a child coming up under a mom or a dad who everything they did was not right? They lived their life hesitating, hesitating, hesitating. It's rejection is what it is. You say, what's this got to do with the Bible? I tell you what it's got to do with the Bible. You cannot walk in the Spirit. You cannot enjoy the possessions that you have in Christ if you don't know that you're accepted foremost by God the Father in heaven 100%, not based on your performance. If you don't know that, you can't appropriate all the truth of the Bible, and you can study it until your head explodes, my friend. You can study it and know all the maps and be proud of it, and people will say, I don't know what it is about him or her. I just can't be their friend. How else do you explain that? It's one word, and it's called rejection. It's what it is. And so it's a major uh, problem in the lives of, uh, of people. Sometimes uh, parents correct their children in a way that the child takes it as not so much a correction of what I've just done. Just say if you're sitting there with a pencil doing that. Well, you need to be corrected. Quit doing that. But if you say, you idiot, quit doing that with that pencil. That's saying, that's so stupid. Why would you do that? At that point, my friend, you are rejecting their personhood. Them as a created being by God. You're rejecting them. And so it's okay to correct someone's conduct, their behavior, if it's wrong. 
But never do we have a right to reject people being alive, reject people being the beautiful creation that God's made them to be. And so, rejection can be a form of uh, manipulation, a form of control, and a form of dominating other people. How many times have you married couples been to marriage conferences? You hear it over and over again. Husbands need affirmation, and wives need to be cherished. You've heard that all these years, and that is true. But listen to me. What if the husband struggles with rejection? I can tell you this. If the husband struggles with rejection, he will not be able to receive his wife's affirmation. If the woman struggles with rejection, she will not believe that she really is cherished by her husband. Why not? Have you ever seen a woman whose husband doted on her? You think, I wish my husband would learn some lessons from him. Ladies, you ever seen that? <laughs> yeah. Well, think about this. Have you ever seen a woman whose husband doted on her? And you think, she could care less. Does she not know what she has in that guy? You ever seen that? Or vice versa. Some men say, I wish you would be more like her. Show that affirmation and just all these things. But it's almost like he can't accept it. Why? Rejection. That's what it all is. Uh, no matter how much the wife affirms the husband, or no matter how much the husband cherishes the wife, if they're in a rejection syndrome that started long before they knew one another, it cancels out being cherished. It cancels out the words of affirmation. And so therefore, we see why the divorce rate so high. Rejection also becomes a form of punishment. When a person struggles with rejection, they sometimes will take out vengeance on their spouse, their children, employer, or employee by rejecting them, seeing it as, a, as the fact that they deserve punishment in this way. And so they're experts at rejection. And what is happening is this. In a person's emotional makeup, this is going on in their thought processes. I am basing my self-worth on the opinion of others instead of on my eternal position in Christ Jesus. I must please these other people in order to feel good about myself. And I want to tell you, that is a terrible form of bondage. You say, well, you bring a message like this, and some people will take it the wrong way in this. I tell you what, I'm tired of trying to please everybody, and the next thing you know, you become a rejecter of other people by saying, I'm not going to live my life pleasing people anymore. Well, don't do that. Just walk in the Spirit. Be a blessing to them. Even if they reject you, you just keep going and you remember that God loves you. God has accepted you. Now, what is the answer to all of this? Remember, you have a body. You have a soul and a spirit. Your soul is where your mind, your will, and your emotions are. Your spirit is where your conscience is, your intuition, and it's where you can commune with God. If you're here this morning and you say, I am a child of God, He does live in me. What you're saying is, He lives in my human spirit. This is the problem. 
If you've experienced rejection in your life, and you've entered into self-protection so you'll never be rejected again, not only are you walling up people out of your life, but you won't let God affect your soul, though he is in your spirit. You say, what do you mean? God's in your spirit, my friend. Your mind, will, and emotions are in your soul. Notice I said will. That's your volition. That's where you can say yes to God, no to God. Are you tying the hands of an all-sovereign God? No, I'm not. He's sovereign, so sovereign that he gives man a will. Under his sovereignty, we all have a will, and we can say no to God. His hands can't be tied to anyone. My friend, God is measureless. Where would you find the hands to tie them? But listen, God is in your spirit. If you're saved and you're born again and you're going to heaven, he's there. You say, why am I having so many problems? It's because you've got to live a yielded life. You've got the same thing you ask your kids to do. Listen to me. Don't do that. Just do what I say. I promise you it'll be better. The same thing God's doing with you. Listen to me. Let go and let me live through your life. When you do that, this is what happens. His Holy Spirit that's in your human spirit begins to affect your soul, your mind. What did Paul say? Be ye therefore transformed by what? The renewing of the mind. That begins to deal with this whole idea of rejection. But then you have your will in your soul. Your will can either say, no, I've got to protect myself. I'm unable to receive acceptance. I'm unable to love. I'm unable to receive love. And so your stubborn will holds back the one who loves you 100%. And so therefore, you have to come to a point where you say it's no longer I but Christ, like Paul said, where you choose to surrender. And you say, I don't have to be first. I don't have to be heard. I just give all I know of me to all I know of God. I surrender all. We sing about it. We need to begin doing it. And when you surrender that way, my friend, this is what happens. The Spirit of God, who's in your spirit, begins to affect your soul. And when you read Scripture, He takes His Word, and by His Spirit, He begins to renew your mind. And how you think determines what you do, determines how you feel. It's like pushing over dominoes. When your mind is renewed, your actions begin to change. Sometimes they change when you, you don't even realize they are. Somebody says, you're just different. And you say, well, I didn't set out to be different. I just came to a point where I said no to me, yes to God, and change began to happen in my life. And so, this rejection that you felt that you can't understand, that begins to be renewed in your mind. And you begin to see from Scripture, you begin to even feel in your emotions, God loving you, accepting you. Amen? Now, this is what happens. When you live this way and think this way, it takes time, but that begins to change your whole personality. It begins to change how you see yourself, how you see God, how you see other people. And when that begins to happen, you are going to be more patient. You are going to be more long-suffering. You see where they are, and you could nail their height if you wanted to nail their height, but the Holy Spirit of God won't let you do it because He's going to bring 
them to the same place that he brought you and remember how long it took you to get there. And you got to be as patient with them as God has been with you. There's no other way to look at it. And so what do you do? You live surrendered. You let God renew your mind. That affects your emotions. You're able to receive love. You're able to love. And that heals those damaged emotions. And that heals that rejection that you've been feeling that maybe you didn't even understand. You say, where do you see that in Scripture, preacher? All right, I'll read it. Colossians chapter 1. And I could unpack this and do a whole series on these uh, two verses here. But I had to do it this way because God told me to. That's a smart thing for me to do. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. Listen to this. He's talking to the Colossians. They are believers. They are saints. To say that I'm just a sinner saved by grace, that's wrong. You are a saint, and yes, you have sinned since you were saved. We all have. We all regret it. But my friend, according to the Word of God, you are a saint. And so therefore, he's talking to the saints here at the church at Colossae, and he says, and you, talking about saints, he's talking about all of us too, who once were alienated and enemies noticed in your mind. Well, I'll be. Paul talked about the mind in Romans. He's talking about the mind in the Colossians. Well, I guess he's not against uh, trying to help people psychologically because he talks about the mind right here. He has to. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death, listen to this, to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. Those are the words of God. Those are not my words. That's from the New American Standard, the most literal translation that we have of the original languages. You're saying that he sees me faultless, above reproach, before his eyes? That's what it says in God's Word. You say, how is that possible? This is how it's possible. He sees you differently than you see you. You say, well, I want to see myself the way God sees me. Well, that's what I've been trying to tell you. But rejection is the veil that keeps you from seeing yourself the way God sees you in His Word. Well, then how does God see me? Crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and delivers Himself up for me. We see it every time we baptize someone up here. I stand there with them. That's a picture of them standing there being co-crucified with Christ. I put them under the water. That's a picture of them being completely immersed in His death or being baptized into Christ and then raised to newness of life. That's a picture of being raised with Christ. Those are all pictures of something that has happened to you, not just in time and temporary, but something that has happened to you for all eternity. And that's why Paul said in his epistles, you are in Christ, 
over and over and over and over again. He wanted you to see that he's in you and you're in him. Why? Because he knew that to walk in the Spirit, to go and make disciples of all the nations covering the earth, to stay steadfast in the local church, to be motivated by your spiritual gift, to teach God's Word, to counsel. He knew they've got to see this or they will burn out. And so this is the answer to rejection. Human beings, because we live in a fallen world, will reject me. But according to the Word of God, I'm accepted in Christ. He sees me blameless above reproach in heaven at His right hand now. Tons of scriptures to support this. So I'm going to choose, in this short existence on earth called time, this vapor, to see myself now the way God sees me now and forever until my mind is so renewed in that position that I begin to experience that position on this earth. That is the answer to rejection. You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org. God bless you and make you a blessing.